0: Hello listeners, this is PSG Talk contributor Mark Damon, and this is PSG Small Talk for Friday, April the 6th, 2018. Today's show, we will talk about PSG's 1-1 draw at Saint-Étienne, and I will give you a brief preview of our upcoming podcast series, The World Cup Project. So, let's start with that, whatever the hell that was against Saint-Étienne at the Stade Jeffrey Guichard, uh just about two hours ago. My word, now I've seen PSG play badly uh, numerous times, but I think that may take the cake for the single worst half of football. PSG have played probably since the Barcelona capitulation. And the worst half of football they've played in Liga in God only knows how long. Now, there were a lot of things wrong with this from the very start. The first thing was that, due to some injuries, PSG were kind of thin uh, roster-wise. So Unai Emery had to make some, let's call them questionable decisions. Playing Pastore on uh, on the forward line... He played Luchoso and Rabio together, who I'm not exactly sure complement each other in the best way quite yet. Lastiara, who really hasn't played a whole lot, was put in that holding role. Krizawa played the left-back position. And it was Marquinhos and Kimpembe who played as the center backs. And one of the things that I took from this game was that, for some reason, the combination of Thiago... Silva and Kimpembe works, Thiago Silva and Marquinhos works. Right now, Kimpembe and Marquinhos do not work as a center-back pair. It's like they just don't complement each other. Right now, it doesn't seem like either one is capable of marshalling a back line in an effective way. Marquinhos is an incredibly talented player, but he's still not at the point where you could call him a defensive leader. Kempemba's not even close to that. And as you saw in that game, he was reckless in that first half. He was all out of shape. He was in positions he didn't need to be. He was making challenges that were unnecessary and reckless. And he got two yellow cards and got himself thrown out of the game. Now, I believe that he's still a really dynamic, great player. It's just right now he needs a little bit of help on that back line. He was really sort of aimless tonight. I thought Krizawa was bad, but I'm not surprised. Krizawa is usually defensively not very good. And in this game, saint were really good about maintaining possession. A lot of Liga teams usually will cede PSG the possession and try to hit them on the counter. Saint-Etienne really wanted the ball. And Mvila and Remy Cabela... And they were just, they were very good. Jonathan Bamba up front was really, controlled the ball well. He made great runs. I believe Cabela, I think it was either, I'm trying to remember who drew the, the penalty in the box, but a lot of great runs, a lot of great diagonal runs from Saint-Étienne. They did not play badly. And let's not make any mistake about this. The reason that this game was so bad While PSG had its issues, and we'll get into them as we go along here, Saint-Étienne were very good. And they've been good for the last 10 weeks uh, under Jean-Louis Gasset. He's he's helped them a lot. And that team went from being a mess in the middle of the season to a team that genuinely, if they can keep this together, and that's usually the issue with Saint-Étienne, But if they can keep this together, they're going to have a decent shot at challenging for one of those European spots. All they have to do, theoretically, is get to 6th place. And if PSG win the Coupe de France, that 6th place team is going into the Europa League, into the early rounds. So, great defensive performance up until the end. They were out hustling PSG. They were out working PSG. And this is where I started to have the issues. Again... I'm not one of those fans that believes PSG should win every game in Liga because I believe Liga is a better league than people give it credit for. And I think a game like this can kind of sneak up on you if you're PSG. And quite frankly, Saint-Étienne played better. They were the better team. And it's almost undisputed that they were the better team in this game. And quite frankly, they deserve to win. Save for that own goal in the 93rd minute off of Matthew Debussy's knee or his thigh. I mean, talk about a robbery. But back on topic, PSG's midfield was dreadful. I mean, they were dreadful in this game. And I am a fan of Adrian Rabiot, and I'm going to preface what I'm about to say because to a lot of people it might sound a little harsh, but I think it needs to be said. I'm not sure right now Adrian Rabiot wants to be here. Um, if he would like to go to Anfield and uh, see their environment, we'd be more than happy to let him go. But tell us now so that we can play Christopher and Nkunku and we can play some of our younger guys if your plan is to just sort of play out this season and move on to somewhere else. Now, I'm not sure that's Adrian Rabio's plan, but the way he's been playing the last month, whether he's just exhausted and tired whether he doesn't give a shit anymore. Whatever it is, what he's doing is not cutting it. And in this game, he just looked lackluster. He wasn't chasing after the ball. And it was a shame to see, because the one thing you could always really count on with Adrian Rabia was his work. He's a smooth player, so it sometimes doesn't look like he's working hard. But you know when Adrian Rabia was working hard. And in this game, he was not working hard. Giovanni Luchelso was really bad. And that wasn't because he wasn't trying. It's just he's not good at this point in his career when he's in traffic. And his decision-making when there's bodies coming at him is not the best right now. And in this, at this point in the season, it's important that if we're going to get anything out of Luchelso next season, he's going to have to play minutes, he's going to have to make mistakes, and he's going to have to learn in the game. So I'm not as mad about that. And Diarra was just, well, he was just overrun. The game was a little too fast for him. The Saint-Étienne players were playing it more out wide, and he wasn't really able to keep up with the game. That kind of happens. Now, besides Kimpembe's um, just dreadful game, which put PSG down to 10 men before the end of the first half, some other issues you could see in that first half. Pastore didn't help at all, really didn't do anything. I mean, he just looked like, a, he looked like a player who, again, he has one foot out the door. Angel Di Maria, I don't think looks like a player that has one foot out the door, but I do think he looks like a player who's tired. He's played almost every game for the last four months. And I think at this point, you can tell he's just, as a 30-year-old player, he's just starting to wear down. He needs a break. It's t- once PSG clinched the league, it's time to start playing Timothy Weah. It's time to give Angel Di Maria a rest, if for nothing else, to allow him to get himself ready for the World Cup, which I think for his service to the team in what will probably or potentially be his last season, that seems like a very um, noble and um, good thing for PSG to do. Kylian Mbappe had his moments, but he, he just wasn't as good as he's been Again, he's still 19 years old. He's going to have these stinker games. It's just going to happen. Saint-Étienne took a 1-0 lead off of a um, Remy Cabela goal. They took that into the half. They should have had more. Kimpembe put, dragged somebody down in the box for a penalty. Cabela's penalty was saved by Alphonse Ariola, who was by far and away the best player in this game. And it just keeps... And he made so many good saves in this game. Even in the second half, when saint looked to be pulling away, he had that save where he fingertipped it and it hit the post. Alphonse Arreola kept PSG in this game. And there's no way PSG get a point out of this unless Alphonse Arreola does the job that he does in this game. So, a real shout-out to him. And I really believe they should go with him next year. I, 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 I think going after a goalie would be silly... I think he's been good enough. I think he's proven that he's good enough. I think they need to build a team around him. And this I mean, he's not Manuel Neuer. He's not Jan Oblak. But he's a very good goalie who's only going to get better with experience. He's young. He's on a manageable contract. And he's a Paris boy. No reason not to give him a shot next year. And I'd be very disappointed if we bring in a goalkeeper. After the way Alphonso Arriola has performed this year. Second half, they brought Thiago Silva in, took off last, and all of a sudden they got better. They got more organized. Saint-Étienne took their chances, but PSG looked at least halfway competent in their back line. You felt like PSG settled the game down a little bit, and they had their chances, Unai Emery brought on Edison Cavani. I don't know if he used a third sub. I don't know why he didn't. If he, I mean, that's just, I think, silliness. Although, it's tough to bring Timothy Weah on in that game because it's just it's too physical a game. It's too fast a game at this point. So I'm not going to kill him over that. I I maybe can... I can... Um, and again, it's hard because you want to give Edison Cavani rest. You want to give Angel Di Maria rest. But maybe this was the day to give Angel Di Maria the break, put Ensign Cavani in the center, and have Mbappe and Pastore on the wings. I don't know. At this point, it doesn't necessarily matter all that much. Cavani comes on in the second half, and he misses one of the easiest chances you can imagine him missing. Wide open net, no one in front of him, and he just shanks it to the right. And... It goes back to what you're going to get with Edison Cavani. And I've always sort of compared him to a three-point shooter in basketball. He's not always going to be on. If he takes two shots a game, if he takes two shots in a game, there's a very good chance he's going to miss both of them. If he takes eight shots, there's a very good chance he's going to make three of them. That's just how he is as a... As a player, that's just who he is. So, you take the good with the bad, and we're not quite sure if he's long for this club. There's a decent enough chance that when the next coach comes in, Kylian Mbappe is going to be moved to the number nine, and Edison Cavani is going to find himself in another club. I'm not quite sure we're at that point yet. I'm thinking that it's a genuine possibility. But... I would say that it's important to see how the rest of these games go, keep this rotation going, get Mbappe minutes at the nine and let him develop there because ultimately that's where he's going to end up. If he's going to be at PSG long term. PSG got better as the game went along, but not great. They, they were, they, they really weren't very good. you mean, in summary, but again, it's gonna happen I'm more upset with Adrian Rabio than anybody else because I just think in a game like that when your team's not playing very well if you're the if you want to be the leader and the big guy on the in the club you gotta show up and you gotta you gotta will your team through moments like that and he just could not be bothered just could not be bothered PSG moved to 84 points with that uh, point they got out of this game. They cannot clinch the league this week. They can clinch it next week. So regardless of what Monaco does, win or lose, PSG cannot clinch Liga until next week when they play Monaco on Sunday evening at the Parc des Princes, the feature game on the Liga calendar for Week 33. And if PSG win that game, I think, yeah, whether they, I think they have to win it. I think if they, depending on what Monaco does tomorrow, a draw might get it done, but a win will guarantee PSG the league title. And as I've said three times already over my various podcasts, I want to win the title in front of Monaco's face in our home stadium, just to stick the knife in a little further And prove that, yes, we are the top of Liga. And they're not. But if PSG put in a performance like they did tonight, that ain't going to happen and they're going to have to wait another week. So, I've been teasing this for about two weeks. And I'm finally going to reveal the World Cup project. So what is the World Cup project? The World Cup project is going to be a 12-part podcast series. I will be host, and I will be interviewing 12 of our closest friends, people that you've heard for years on this site, people that are friends of the site, and we are going to have long-form, in-depth discussions, usually on a topic or two, surrounding the World Cup. This is not a normal World Cup Preview Podcast. We'll have one of those at the end, but this isn't going to be, oh, do you like this team to win or do you like this team to win? Oh, who's going to be the most valuable player and, you know, who's the best coach in the thing? This is going to be more than that. I've already recorded a couple of episodes of it so far, and I like what I've gotten. This is going to be about the history of certain countries, certain national teams We're gonna reminisce about moments in World Cup history. We're gonna talk about the tactical revolutions that have gone on during uh, the many years that this tournament has has taken place. We're gonna talk about France in depth. We're gonna talk about Spain in depth. We're gonna talk about Mexico in depth. And we're not just gonna talk about the team as it's currently constituted. We're gonna talk about the history in the culture, from a fan's perspective, and what these tournaments mean. And the key to this World Cup project, for me, is really to just get at the heart of why this is the largest sporting event on earth. Why so many people from so many different backgrounds and so many different countries love this competition, their memories of it, how it shaped them as a fan. This is going to be... In my opinion, and I hope you come along for the ride, this is going to be one of the more ambitious things we've done at the site. I have interviews lined up with not only contributors, people you've heard like Jose Espinosa, Guillaume, uh, Matt Gooding, David Wood. I'm even getting Ed back on the pod to talk some stuff. We're going to go outside to our friends. You're going to hear from Tyler Dunn. Of banter FC, you're gonna hear from Chase Haslip of Canary and Blue, and you're gonna hear from the returning Daniel Pregbaha, who hasn't been on a podcast in many, many in many, many months. So it's an eclectic group, it's gonna be a bunch of eclectic different topics. I think you're gonna really enjoy it. It's a unique look at the World Cup, past, present, and future. And it will launch the first episode on April 30th. So on April 30th, which I'm going to look at the calendar to see what day that is, exactly day that is, that is going to be Monday, April 30th. You will hear the first podcast, and I'm not going to give away all the topics, but I will give away the first episode because it is already recorded. The first one you will hear is from Guillaume Guillaume Delaporte. I keep getting, I keep adding an E at the end. It's Guillaume Delaporte. He was born in France, moved to the United States, and he will give us one of the most unique, in-depth perspectives on the French national team that you will hear anywhere. This has already been recorded. It is an absolutely outstanding hour and 15 minutes of podcasting. You will get an in depth look at the French national team from the 80s to the 90s, what he was doing during the World Cup, talking about the 2000s, the headbutt, the walkout, and France's outlook for the future. That will drop April 30th, and every Monday and Friday, a new episode will come out, leading all the way through it through May into June to that last week before the World Cup when I will do my official World Cup preview where I will say who I think is going to win, who will come out of each group, and for that episode, and I haven't told him about this yet, but if he's listening to the podcast, he's going to know about it now, John Olangi, God for short, nobody else I'd rather close out World Cup project than him, we will cover the World Cup 2018 in depth on that last episode. But stay through everything in between, because this is going to be the most unique look at the World Cup that you have ever heard, and the only people that can bring it to you are the contributors of PSG Talk. Make sure to subscribe to the the podcast, PSG Talking. I think we'll get one in April at some point. The guys have been busy lately. I mean, trying to schedule these interviews, it's always sort of hectic, but... We get them scheduled, and they will get a podcast out. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for further updates and future episodes of the World Cup project. I will unveil them as they are recorded. Obviously, an old wrestling term, card subject to change. A lot of things scheduled. I'm very confident they will get them done, but if anything changes, we'll let you know. And make sure to visit our website, psgtalk.com, and visit our Patreon page. And if you enjoy what we do for the World Cup project, consider donating. If you like what we do already, consider donating. One dollar. It's all it takes. One dollar. And what that one dollar says is that you are with us for the ride. Not just for the PSG season remaining, but for future PSG seasons to come, and for future projects like the one that Guillaume did about PSG's relationship with Qatar and the World Cup Project. So, this has been PSG Talk contributor and World Cup Project host Mark Damon. Au revoir for now.